Hello, I'm Viv Groskop, stand-up comedian, author, agony aunt, dreamer of big, shiny, utopian dreams, and this is We Are Women. We Are Women is brought to you by Mint Velvet. Our aim is to be an oasis amid the sound and fury much needed if your festive season has been anything like mine. It's a place to explore the reality of being a woman, the ups and downs, and what frankly often feel like the completely inside-outs and back-to-fronts too. As we're staring down the barrel of 2018, our theme for today is beginning and all the promise and peril of the blank page. In this episode, we'll be hearing from fitness guru Shona Virtue. Think about three life changes that you can make and that's it. And do those for 30 days. I promise you, you will see a change and it's those results that will keep you motivated. And from happiness expert Gretchen Rubin. We tend to get a lot of happiness and energy from relationships. So figure out a way to broaden or deepen your relationships. In just a moment, I'll be introducing you to a particularly lovely studio guest. But first, and while it's just us, dear listener, I wanted to take a moment to reflect on all the wit and wisdom that has bounced around the Mint Velvet studio since this podcast started barely 12 months ago. I want to send you into 2018 with a pocket full of joy and good sense. So here's a few choice morsels from all the wonderful women who have joined us over the last year. First up, and in the wake of party season, I thought it would be nice to be reminded if you never want to go out again, that is fine. From our friendship episode, here's the brilliant presenter and podcaster, Alice Levine, telling it like it is. I just don't like parties, so I'm kind of trying to get in and get out, a bit like the supermarket, just try and like whip around, see everybody and get straight back out again. I can do it in a cool 33 minutes, I'd say now. So you arrive late, stay for a few minutes. Yeah then go home and go to sleep for 20 hours. You've just described a perfect day. I mean, (laughs) I'd rather not have to go to the party for the 33 minutes, but yeah, if I have to, that's ideal. Of course, for some of our guests, they don't have to go to parties. The party comes to them. Jay-Z coming round to the house was quite good as well because this was for the live lounge when I used to do the live lounge at Radio 1 and it was one of my last shows that I ever did so we wanted to go out and flourish and they managed to persuade Jay-Z to come out to this little tiny village where I lived and the sight of him sitting on a settee with my mum and my grandma eating strawberries is one that I will never ever forget. He was so sweet presenter Jay Wiley, who took time off from hobnobbing with the stars to come on our caring edition. But in these days of social media anxiety and Instagram angst, it's vital to remember that even the most glittering guest has a less glittering side. Here's Edith Bowman talking about her sons. We've got a chart in the house, you see, for words that they've got to try and stop saying so much. The three words on it at the minute are poo, hate, and then penis. Um, and that's purely because they've changed the lyrics to I'm Your Venus, the Banana Rama song. Uh, they very quickly discovered that they could change the lyrics to I'm Your Penis. So that just got sung too much. So we've got that on the chart as well. That was the Escape Edition. Down to Earth parenting tips are just one way we strive to be helpful. Here's Joe Elvin, former editor in chief at Glamour magazine, on the subject of making yourself heard. I think over the years, what I've tried to do is um, pick my battles. I I think there probably was a time when I was a new editor, not not at Condé Nast, but at other magazines, where I would go with every single little niggle or problem 
to the boss. And then you, you do, you become white noise. I've learned over the years, if I feel very strongly about a point or very strongly about something I need to happen, I prepare and I make sure that I haven't spent the last six weeks moaning and griping about every everything that I possibly could. Here's Sarah Pascoe on The Good Life. Reading fiction is such an important thing. Having a bath with a book where that, that, that's your time and the door is closed and, and they just transform your world. Like you do a good book, you go completely somewhere else. And I always feel like I'm not a spiritual person at all, but I think that sometimes books find you exactly when you need them. Quite often that character will be going through something or living a life and you go, oh, that's so relevant to me or my auntie Susan. And there's quite a lot of truth in fiction. And I think... I hate making gender generalisations. I think women are really, really hard on themselves. And I think we think that we should be hard on ourselves because we have low self-esteem. It, there's a whole journey towards becoming who you want to be or getting what you want. And all of the, the way, you have to be kind to yourself, no matter what it is that you're going for. And also, I think yoga is incredible. And if it is all going horribly wrong, writer Dolly Alderton is here to help. Here she is on our episode on The Journey. Every time you're being cruel to yourself or you're berating yourself or doubting yourself, this woman told me that you should take a moment and say, darling, darling, Dolly, in your head to yourself. Which sounds mad, but it's just to remind yourself that you're the one in responsible and loving hands, that's yourself, and you have to take that job seriously. So to almost think of yourself as an other for a moment and just be like, don't be, don't be cruel to that person. The thing is, what makes all this insight worth hearing is that it comes straight from the front line of that messy, painful business we call living. And I have to say, I'm proud of the way this podcast has faced up to some of the less glossy stuff. Here's comedian Lucy Porter on our very first show about change. I have three times in my life been for consultations with plastic surgeons or in one case weight and then I went to see someone about having Botox um, and then I w- went to see a personal trainer and it's so obvious to me now that what was really up was emotional rather than physical. I mean I thank goodness I didn't get because I, I was going to have liposuction, liposuction, whatever it's called, and um, and I didn't actually go for it, and I'm so so pleased I didn't. Mm. I'm so shocked. I'm sitting here in shock. I, this is a bombshell because <laughs> Lucy, you are so gorgeous. <laughs> you know, but all women are gorgeous, and we all feel that we're not. And I mean, I think that's a real. You know, there's no woman I know of my close circle of friends anyway who hasn't been through terrible periods of crisis about her appearance, which is awful, really. I'm going to reveal the thing I fear I will never escape. There are so many things I could have chosen here, I have to say, but I'm going to be totally honest and admit, I feel I will never escape the idea that I think I'm fat. I know, I know, Sindhu, I'm embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed, Um, it's so real. But I have had so many struggles with my weight over the years and I now feel like I'm in control of it. You look great. But I lost three stone about two or three years ago. I know, I read it, I followed you. uh, Yeah, but maintaining it is so hard and I'm always worried that I'm going to go back into that place where... It's so scary, isn't it? The donut place. I know. No, 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 I, I think that... Well, first of all, kudos for saying it on 
the podcast because I think a lot of people think it and they don't want to say it. Kudos also for not being like, it doesn't matter what weight I am. I'm just always going to be happy because that's not everyone's reality. No, it isn't. I envy people who feel that way. And I don't, I judge myself, but I don't judge other people. I get that. And that's amazing. I might have to have something to eat now that I've said that. Anyway, so what is the thing that you fear you will never escape, Sindhu? Um, oh, man. Uh, no, one thing is that there was a brief time uh, after my after I had my first kid where I went mental. And I'm not, it's not a joke. Like I lost my mind. I went bananas. And it was very, very scary. Um, there's something called intrusive thoughts. I didn't know that's what they were called, but I found out the psychiatrist told me. Krishna says... The mind is like wild horses. It is the job of the mind to run wild. And I've experienced how it is to not have control over your own mind when it's running wild. It's very scary. I think I've escaped it, but you know, this is a really light uh, section of this podcast. <laughs> well, I love it. Sindhu V and, well, me, talking about escape. Things aren't always easy. 2018 won't always be easy, but you know what? It's okay because we are women and women are, well, what exactly are they? One of the things we often do is to ask our guests to complete this sentence in three words. A woman is... Here's a selection of answers from Bronte Oral, Joe Elvin, Liana Bird, Gemma Kearney, Joe Wiley, Dolly Alderton, Sindhu V and Britta Fernandez-Schmidt. They are all incredible. And it's pretty incredible how many of them can't count to three. Complicated, hilarious, stronger than you think. That's more than three words. Well, I guess it depends on the woman, but I would hope to say strong, powerful and kind. A woman is exactly what she wants to be with no limitations. A woman is beautiful. A woman... A brilliant thing. ...is a mixture... Angry, complex, nurturing. Woman, is it just three words? That's it. Powerful, empathetic, funny. That's it. A beautiful mixture. With so many things. I mean, I know it's exhausting, but it's pretty, pretty cool. A woman is whatever she wants to be. Now, it's time to meet our very special guest. I'm joined in the studio by a writer and journalist whose insights span everything from intersexual feminism to Made in Chelsea. She's on the telly, she's on the radio, she's in the papers and the magazines, and her very successful book, How to Be a Grown-Up, came out last year. She is Daisy Buchanan. Welcome to We Are Women. Hello, Viv. Thank you so much for having me. Now, first, it's the beginning for all of us when we start a new year. What does beginning mean for you, and do you have any resolutions? Uh, well, I am working on a a book that is due in um, in the summer, so that's going to be. I think my big goal is to to get it finished. Um, Your big goal is to do the piece of work that you're supposed to do. That's not good, is it? I need to think of something <laughs> I love a little bit better. I mean, I suppose a lot of it with me maybe is eating. I went sugar free last year, and I think I managed it until maybe May, and we just moved and. It was one of those things where we didn't have any pans and just ate lots of takeaways and, you know, wanted to sort of drink beer on the beach and thought, oh, well, you know, I've had eating disorders and I do struggle a lot with food and, of you know, moderating and regulating it. So I would really like to just find a kind of a peace with it. And also to, 
because I've gone through real stages with exercise and I know I just feel better when I do it. So I'd maybe like to try something new. How do all these themes of trying new things and trying to be more compassionate towards yourself, how do they tie in with the themes in your book, How to Be a Grown-Up? Well, I wrote it because I just wanted to write something really, really reassuring. I was, I think, 29 when I had the idea. And it was as if I wanted to go to some kind of independent auditor, you know, like a financial advisor or something, and say, here's my life. I want you to just tell me what's OK and what I can you know, improve on a bit. And I think that I, every, I said every woman I know, every person I know probably is endlessly thinking, gosh, am I, am I messing this up? Everybody else seems to have this down and I really don't. And I just say, well, no, we're all floundering and it's absolutely fine. And I think that's, you know, where the, the compassion comes in. You know, how, old do you, how old do you know if you don't mind me asking? I'm 32. And do you feel more grown up since having written the book and gone into your 30s? That's a really good question. And it's funny... I uh, did a talk um, a couple of months ago at Bristol University and I went out with the students, but they were asking me, you know, about what it's like in this period where you, you know, you leave and you graduate and you're really out properly in the adult world for the first time. And I thought, oh gosh, I'm quite surprised by the answers I have and I have learned things and I do know things. And the main thing I've learned is, you know, worry less about it. So I need to really start taking my own advice on that one. Yeah, that's so interesting. I often wonder if it's actually worry. Yeah, as you say, worrying less about things. You you always, I think, when you're younger, you think, well, when I become an adult, I will be very concerned about important things. <laughs> and you realise actually, the older you get, that it's more important to become less anxious and to realise it's what people say about being much older, isn't it? That once mm. you get into your fifties, sixties, seventies, you just care less. Caring less, I think, is a good thing. Something that I keep thinking about and coming back to is we have no control over the way we exist in other people's imaginations. And that's even if we exist at all. And I think that if I can begin 2018 by taking that message on board, such annoying advice, isn't it? Well, you know, don't don't worry what people think about you so much. And you're like, great, thanks for that. How? And I think that's something that only really comes with age and perspective. Mm, well, self-acceptance and peace and listening to the sound of the sea. That's my message for 2018. Now, ordinarily, we don't hear from our expert guest until a little later in the programme. But today, like children with a shiny present, we just couldn't wait. Gretchen Rubin is the Leonardo da Vinci of happiness. Her books have sold almost 3 million copies worldwide and been translated into over 30 languages. They include the blockbuster New York Times bestsellers Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, Happier at Home, and of course her most recent book, The Four Tendencies. The weekly podcast which she presents with her sister Elizabeth Craft is called Happier with Gretchen Rubin and is a fixture of every most important podcast list going and is almost as good as this one. She's been interviewed by Oprah and walked arm in arm with the Dalai Lama and now she is here in our studio. Welcome Gretchen Rubin. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Oh, so good to have you. Now our theme today, Gretchen, is beginning. Do you agree a new year isn't necessarily the best time to start something? Well, I think, you know, if there's one thing I've learned about sort of happiness and habit change is that there's no magic one-size-fits-all solution that fits everyone. It really depends on, like, well, what works for you? Um, I think it's helpful for everyone to have a catalyst for self-reflection and to think, 
well, what would I want in my life to be different? How could I make myself happier, healthier, more productive, more creative? For some people, it might be the new year. For some people, it might be their birthday. For some people, it might be a move to a new town. Um, for some people, they don't want an arbitrary date like January 1st. They want to just start when the time is right. So I think it depends on how you respond to it. If you find um, starting something new in the new year sort of feels like the right time and everybody's sort of talking about it, you get uh, excited, that's great. And if you feel like it's sort of an arbitrary date that's meaningless, do it when it seems right for you. Mm, That's very interesting that you say that this one size fits all doesn't work. However, four sizes fits all Uh. does work, (laughs) doesn't it, Groove? Nice segue. See what I've done there? (laughs) So your book, The Four Tendencies, identifies four different types that people can be. And if you know your type, then you know how to change as a person, right? Right. Yes, the four tendencies divides people into upholder, questioner, obliger, and rebel. And I argue that when you know which one you are, you have a lot of insight into how to change your life. And then also, if you know what other people's tendencies are, then you can communicate with them much more effectively I'm as well. I'm struggling not to interrupt you and just say, I'm a rebel! There you go! I am a rebel! I'm a rebel, which means... I can't, no, you can't make me do it and I can't make me either. Right. <laughs> so rebels can't make themselves keep habits and other people can't make them keep habits either. And you, Gretchen, you're an upholder. Yes. That means you can make yourself do anything. Well, yeah, we're sort of opposite types here. Yeah. Rebel and upholder are the two, they're the smallest tendencies. They're kind of the extreme personalities, right. And then on top of that, we have questioner and those are the people who will do things as long as they're given very good reasons for them. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I'm an expert on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and obliger, and that's somebody who will do things if somebody else has asked them to. Well, they can meet outer expectations. So this is all about inner expectations and outer expectations. So obligers meet outer expectations, like a work deadline or a request from a friend, but then they struggle with inner expectations, like their own desire to keep a New Year's resolution or their own desire to start practicing guitar again. Mm. So obliger is is the most common tendency. Yes, for both men and women, it's the biggest one. And I think for a lot of people, especially who are parents as well, you meet a lot of your outer expectations, but very easy to let go of your inner expectations, right? Well, well, I would say that being an obliger is something that's true for you. For your, If you're an obliger, you're an obliger at 20, you're one at 40, you're one at work, you're one at home. It doesn't have to do with being a parent. No matter what your tendency, obviously, if you have a small dependent child, there's things you have to do for that child, you know, because it has to get done. So that's not really what being a, an obliger is more like, are you able to meet a deadline for your boss, but you can't get yourself to go running on the weekend? I just know a lot of parents who are obligers. Well, a lot of I people think. are obligers, yes. Yeah. But if you're a questioner and you're a parent, you have a very different philosophy about it. Right. So yeah. how would that work if you're a questioner and you're a parent? Well, so well, here I'll use an example of a rebel. Um, so I said to a rebel friend of mine, um, so I said, let's say the school sent home a note and said, everyone has to wear a button-down shirt on Friday. Do you have this in England, a button-down shirt? like a? Yes, like I a, know what you're yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, I know you have them. I don't know if that's the right term. Um, it, this, and it was just like, that's the rule. How would you feel about it? And she's like, well, I definitely wouldn't make him wear it if he didn't. Like, because, like, he should be able to wear what he wants. Like, he's not going to, he doesn't have to follow that rule. But a question would be like, well, what is the reason for the rule? If it's just an arbitrary rule, then no way. But if there's a reason for the rule, um, and an obliger would be like, oh, do they actually check? Do the teachers check? Does it matter? And an upholder would be like, oh, I'm just going to go out and buy a bunch of shirts. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm I'm rebel, you see, so I would be thinking, no, don't wear the shirt. Right, 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 right. Why should you? Why sh- yeah, yeah, you can't make me. Yeah, I love it. You can't make me do anything. It's so brilliant. Okay, Daisy, I'm going to come to you later and ask you which tendency you might be. Oh, so can I guess what she is? Oh, go ahead, yeah. Yes, from what she said, I would guess she's an obliger. Does Ooh. that sound... Actually, I thought I was an obliger, and then I read the book, and I think I'm mm. really an upholder. No, you're not an upholder. Get out of here, Daisy. No, well, upholder means you can make yourself do anything. I do make myself do a lot of things. What do you think, Gretchen? You're the expert. You know, I do. I think about, you know, I, I go to the gym. There's tons of stuff, you know, lots of like writing, you know, goals as well. I think, you know, I'm a freelancer. I don't, I think that you have to be an upholder to be a freelancer. I think that if you're an obliger, you need to sort of have a work structure where it's like, okay, here's what you're doing. You're going to the office and this is it. That's I think a very that good point, you need actually. To be massively self-motivated to do what you do. So that's why I was like, because I've always thought I'm a total people pleaser. And actually it's quite exciting when I realised an uphold, where well, I was an upholder because I just reframed it and I realised all of the stuff I make myself do. And that actually made me feel empowered. Mm. This is interesting. You see, Gretchen, who is queen of all upholders, looks sceptical. <laughs> Anytime there's talk of self-care or being kind to yourself, I start thinking obliger because that's the kind of thing that obligers have to talk them like that comes up for them. Whereas upholders and questioners, they don't feel that same need to remind themselves to do that and rebels for their own reasons also. I feel as accountable to myself as I do to other people. And I think Mm. that's the upholder. I think that kind Mm -hmm. of lack of self-compassion, I do just get so furious with myself when I don't meet the goals, but the goals are high. So, Yeah, but an upholder would just naturally meet the goal anyway, right? Well, I don't know. Maybe you're an upholder who tips to obliger. I would have to like sit and like really (laughs) probe. Um, But it seems like you are right there on that edge. And they overlap, upholder and obliger. So maybe you're right there in the middle somewhere. a bit of a cusp going on. Yes. Well, and also I think a lot of times people assume that the because there are so many obligers and it tends to be a very dominant kind of way of talking in society, that people often kind of think other people like, oh, everybody feels this way, including me. And it's like, no, everybody doesn't feel that way, even me. Um, I had somebody say to me, well, why is it that busy parents like us can't take time for ourselves? And I said to her, well, actually, I don't have any time taking time for myself. And she said, well, actually, now that you mention it, neither do I. And I'm like, well, then why are you saying that everybody has difficulty taking time for themselves? You know, sometimes they're like these cultural... Yeah, I think um, it's so interesting that you say there's no gender split because I do think that women absolutely are kind of socialized to be very sort of you know self-sacrificing and well look at look at viv complex (laughs) well you think i'm self-sacrificing no 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 no, no. i'm saying you're not i think that we have i think we have like an idea that women are like that yeah but if you actually talk to a lot i'm like i'm not like that you're not like that so we go no not that women are necessarily like that at all but there's an expectation that we should be that i think there's a social narrative there's a social narrative and a stereotype I mean, if you think of like like the ads you see and, you know, we sort of just had Christmas and, you know, all of the kind of it's always, you know, the mother doing lots of the caretaking. And it's sort of, you know, all you might see on TV is sort of obliging women, you know, and that might not reflect reality at all. But we are, I think, so surrounded by that image. But so what I would say to that, and I think this is for me, this has turned out to be one of the most helpful things that I've learned is always to say to yourself, Whatever everybody says is true of everybody or most people, what's true for me? Because in important ways, you could be very different from what you think you ought to be or should be or or would be. Hmm. Well, that is number one rule of the happiness project. Number one, be Gretchen. Yes. (laughs) Substitute your own name. (laughs) I also want to be Gretchen. 
Now, every episode we ask guests a question and come back to them for an answer at the end. So I'm going to pose this now and we'll return to it. Returning to our theme, I want to ask you both, what is the hardest beginning you have faced? We'll come back to that. But first, it's time for My Life in Clothes, which explores the way our clothes reveal our personal story. This month, we've been talking to Sherna Virtue, the ex-gymnast and now personal trainer and yoga teacher. She's worked with a plethora of A-list celebs, but these days she's more interested in helping the rest of us benefit from the Virtue Method through her book of the same name and loads of online videos, which promise to get you both sweaty and serene. So clothes for me have not always played a very big role in my life growing up in Australia because you're probably not wearing many (laughs) for most of the year. As a trainer working in the fitness industry, I very much felt as though my self-worth was heavily based on my physical appearance and my worth as a woman was how well my body fit into the beauty standards. You know, I'm a flat-chested ex-gymnast, and so I really struggled. So some of the choices that I would make in Australia, I'd wear like, you know, I'd wear like a push-up bra, and then on top of the push-up bra, I'd wear another like, you know, sports bra that would push my boobs up even more to the point where people actually thought I'd had a boob job, just because I was trying so hard to sort of fit this, you know, fitness bunny, big-breasted, big-booty kind of girl, um, tiny waist, um, because I felt like that was where my self-worth. That's not, not even where my self-worth was. I knew it was more than that, but it was where I felt I would be accepted in the fitness industry. Um, when I moved to London about four years ago, that's when I started to obviously consider fashion a little bit more and clothing and, and what it meant. And it was so incredible for me to look around and see the different ways that people were expressing themselves through their fashion choices. And it just got me asking more questions about how I dressed and why I dressed that certain way and and almost like in a sort of feminist way. When I came to London, people were suddenly in coats for nine months of the year. When I came here, I was like, well, no one can see it anyway, so why should I get up in the morning? And so then I had to dig deep and I went back to my roots in gymnastics and started training for um, health and how that affected my fashion was that I started making choices that were more practical. So I think the biggest transition in my choice of fashion or my choice of clothing came from dressing less for other people and dressing more for what suited me. So item number one, a pair of um, New Balance track pants, um, but they're actually from the men's range. I just love men's fashion because I feel like it's so freaking comfortable and practical. So pockets, like pockets are just, aren't they the best? And it also... And this, is, this might be controversial to talk about. I train weights and I love lifting weights and I, I think all women should. And the biggest frustration that I have is that it can be that sort of testosterone-filled area where men are sort of like, they will kind of give you dirty looks and watch what you're doing, kind of be like, what does she think she's doing in this sort of area? And then you get the ones where they think this is a good opportunity to go and hit on you or stare at you in, in this sort of very objectifying way. And so wearing men's clothing and track pants helps me to avoid that latter option, that that last one. So another one is a full piece um, swimsuit. So I love a good bikini, don't get me wrong, um, but they're not very practical in the surf and I love to surf. And I think that there's something very sexy about practicality and and functionality because you can sort of move in a way that um, is effective. 
And I think we th there's a lot of this, um, particularly with women, is there's this association with like beauty and discomfort or beauty, like, you know, sexy and uncomfortable. But I think um, what is sexy is a woman um, expressing just how powerful and intelligent she moves or she is. So our theme is obviously beginning. Um, and it's a really amazing and powerful time, I think, for goal setting, but it can also kind of work against people as well, I think. And the biggest problem that I see is that people make these huge, huge um, changes to their life. And the problem is, is that it leads to this common roller coaster of restricting and then binging, restricting and binging. Um, the first thing that I would suggest that you do is just think, okay, today's a new day. Think about three life changes that you can make and that's it. And do those for 30 days. I promise you, you will see a change and it's those results that will keep you motivated. Okay, so I know that you have Gretchen Rubin in the studio. And I have a question around unhappiness because I want to know, should we fear unhappiness? Because I feel like sometimes there is happiness pressure and I want to know if we should be fearing unhappiness and striving for happiness or if there is an element of wanting to embrace you know an unhappiness in a means or in an effort to then take the pressure off and maybe reveal happiness so i i, I what's your take on that is that too long <laughs> feel free to cut it <laughs> Thank you, Shona. Um, Gretchen, can you answer that? That do should we fear unhappiness? No, you know, negative emotions like unhappiness, guilt, anger, resentment, boredom—all these negative emotions have a very, very important role to play in a happy life. I mean, there's sometimes in your life where it wouldn't be appropriate to be happy. You wouldn't even want to be happy or seek to be happy because there's a reason to be unhappy. Um, but I do think that they can often be very helpful in showing us where there are possibilities for change. You know. They're meant to help point us in the right direction. So if you're feeling very unhappy because your best friend at work is gone now and now you feel lonely and sad, maybe that's going to help you decide, well, I need to make a new friend at work. You know, is there somebody that I could go out of my way to get to know so I have another friend at work? Absolutely, as Gretchen said, that sadness is a part of life. And I think that when we feel a negative emotion, we then follow it up with a secondary negative response, which is, oh, but I shouldn't be feeling so negative. And that just compounds things. So I think it's really, really important to allow ourselves the space for sadness. Um, Gretchen, Shona was talking there about goal setting, something that she's seen fail with her clients and the idea that we get trapped into this cycle of what she was calling restricting and binging. I know you have various solutions for that in your work. And one of them is to do with abstinence and moderation. Can you explain a bit about that? Yes, this is something um, uh, that comes up a lot around the new year. So when people are trying to resist a strong temptation, some people are abstainers and some people are moderators. So abstainers are people like me. We find it easier to give up something altogether than you to indulge. You are a saint. No, I'm not a saint. No, because people think it sounds like, oh, you're an abstainer because you have so much willpower. I'm like, no, for me, I don't have enough willpower to have a little bit. Like I can have no cookies or I can have 11 cookies. I can't have one cookie. I can't have half a dish of ice cream. Hmm. For me, it's just easier to have none. Now, 
Now, some people are moderators, and they do better when they have a little bit. And this isn't just for for food or drink. It's also for things like technology. Mm, I love it. I think I'm an abstainer in denial. Mm. I am an abstainer, but I don't want to be. But you're a rebel. So you know what you could do? You could use your rebel language to embrace your abstainer self. People say you can't give up sugar, sugar Viv. I bet you can. I've seen you meet a big challenge. You're not addicted to sugar. You're not going to be chained to processed food with their fancy packaging and their advertising campaigns. Like, I'm what totally kind of person are you? What kind I of person? This. You're a healthy, energetic person who's not going to be like seduced by all these messages that to have fun you have to indulge in sweets. Like, Gretchen, I need you, you to can move break in with free. Me. There I you need go. You to move in with me. The upholder living with the rebel. We could create such a great force, Ruben. That is a reality show I need to yeah, see. Yeah, that would be so great. Now, tell us about, uh, let's. Perhaps we can look at Daisy's tendency here. So mm. Upholder well, with Obliger Rising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what would be a good New Year's goal? Well, it's not that there's a particular goal. It's there's a particular way to go about it. So if you are um, an upholder or a questioner, what you really want to do is have clarity on exactly what you're asking for yourself. Upholders, when they lock into this, it's pretty easy for them to execute. Questioners need to have justification. So it's like, why would you do this? Why are you going to follow this exercise plan? Why are you going to run in the morning instead of the night? Why are you going to run instead of walk or lift weights? For obligers, it's all about outer accountability. They must have a structure of outer accountability to meet an inner expectation. So if you want to read more, join a book group. If you want to exercise more, take a class, work out with a trainer, work out with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up. Think of your duty to be a role model for other people. And then for rebels, we'll Viv, you know this, rebels can do anything they want to do. They can do anything they choose to do. (laughs) And so sometimes they like to set themselves a challenge, like, I'm going to run the marathon in 2018. Rebels also sometimes enjoy doing things in a different way from other people. So maybe like an unusual form of yoga or maybe like a very extreme kind of workout or... Um, I have a friend who runs barefoot, and he loves it when people are like, hey, man, where are your shoes? And he's like, I'm running barefoot because I'm awesome. You know, so there's different ways for the – if you know your tendency, you can kind of approach new beginnings and New Year's resolutions and habit change in a way that's going to be most successful for you because I think a lot of times when people fail or get frustrated with themselves, it's because they've set things up in a way that doesn't suit them. I am barefoot running guy. There that you is go. basically who I am. <laughs> Daisy, did any of that chime with you? It really did. And actually, eating breakfast, because it's just that thing about, you know, is thinking about the, am I an upholder or am I an obliger? And the number of times my plans are derailed because an editor will email asking for a piece. I'm like, well, really, I should do this. And then sort of the day gets away from me. So, you know, to start, that sounds obliger, healthy. by the way. Yes, that's yeah. definitely me saying that I think you and Viv are right. And uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> now we're coming to the end of the show. I want to ask both of you about this idea of the hardest beginning that you've ever faced. Uh, for me, it brings up something you said earlier, Gretchen, actually, which is this idea of asking what's true for me. Mm. And one of the hardest beginnings I ever faced was when I realised I wanted to move from writing into performing and I started doing stand-up. And the thing that's supposedly true for everyone is that stand-up is impossible and it's terrible and it's awful and you're going to feel like you're going to die and people are going to heckle you, it's going to be awful. What was true for me is that I absolutely loved that. Mm. And so what should have been a very hard beginning, and it sort of was in the beginning because I bought into that myth but very quickly I started to think, 
no, actually, hang on, I don't find this difficult. I love it. I love the difficulty of it. And realising that that was true for me was so, so important. Gretchen, how about you? Hardest beginning? I think the hardest beginning, this goes back to my childhood, but I went away to summer camp for the first summer, and I dreaded this day so much that even now on June 20th, every year I get a sinking feeling in my stomach because I dreaded that date for so long um, Whenever when I was 12 years old or whatever it was. It was a great lesson because I had a wonderful time, and so I was really glad that I had done it. Um, but it was very hard. Daisy, what's your hard beginning? I'm going to say something which I think epitomizes my upholder, obliger struggle. Um, it was when I started working on the book and got the idea and I took a week off to start writing the proposal. And I remember thinking, what if no one wants it? What if I get rejected? What if I just look really foolish? And everybody will say, I can't believe she tried. What a loser, what an idiot. But I still did it. And I'm so glad that I I pushed through. I think the myth is that you will sit down and it will fly out of you and be like, I'm Hemingway, tra-la-la, whiskey for breakfast. And actually, sometimes this is just horrible. And you have to keep pushing forward. And it's just about silencing your self-doubt enough. Sometimes the only thing that makes me do something is that my anxiety about not doing it, it just becomes greater than my anxiety around doing it. Mm, Great, great advice. Now, Gretchen, to finish off, I wanted to borrow something from your brilliant podcast. Mm. Uh, Is there a try this at home Mm. for us, a tip listeners can take away to help them face the beginning of a brand new year? Oh, there's so many things that come to mind. Um, can I give a couple? Yeah, can I give a little, a little range? Okay. So if you are not getting enough sleep, figure out a way to get enough sleep. So maybe you even want to set an alarm to make sure that you go to sleep on time. If you need a quick boost right now, one thing I recommend is doing 10 jumping jacks. This is something that just, it's fun. It's playful. It like gets your blood flowing. I, I make my daughters do this when they're in bad moods. I do it myself. But on a deeper level, I would say, you know, ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that relationships are a key and maybe the key to happiness. So if you can think in the new year, what's something that you could do to broaden your relationships or deepen your relationships, whether that's going to a reunion or throwing a party or starting a book club, figure out a way to broaden or deepen your relationships in the new year. Hmm. Well, Daisy and Gretchen, I always felt like we could be better friends. (laughs) And now we are. (laughs) This is lovely. We talk all day. Well, it's time for us to go now, but do please tweet at Mintvel or come to the Mint Velvet Facebook page and tell us what you think of the podcast. There could not be a better time for us to begin to do things differently. Do please subscribe to We Are Women via Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And do rate and review us because it makes us happy and helps others to find us. We Are Women will be back at the end of January, but in the meantime, my thanks to guests Shona Virtue, Daisy Buchanan and Gretchen Rubin. We Are Women is a Whistledown production for Mint Velvet. The producer is Kate Taylor. I'm Viv Groskop. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year, and I'm off to do my jumping jacks. (laughs) 